Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special edition of the Lashing Out Podcast, Nitty Sports Now Network. I'm joined today by Kevin Quigley, as always, but we have a special guest, Brandon Walker of Nittany Sports Now. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. The honor is ours. The honor is ours. I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got a lot to talk about. Penn State is a weekend of the offseason. They're finishing things up on the recruiting trail. They're all over the place getting guys in the portal. Guys are staying. Not many are going. It's a good time to be a Nittany Lion. It is, and it's also duck season. Uh, Penn State's picked up a couple of momentums from transfers. Storm Duck is on campus. Uh, I'm not one of those creative students who are on campus making painting signs on Beaver Stadium. I cannot wait for Storm Duck sign hanging over the wall at Beaver Stadium. Um, and then, you know, they got a kicker and a punter. That's a position to need. And we talked about what kind of momentum does the Rose Bowl bring to this program. They got a wide receiver commitment like 20 minutes after the game. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going there. And like that's yeah. the moment we talked about last week, and that's what I'm excited for. It. It's 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 already working in 20 minutes. Yes, it is. Like it was crazy to watch it because I actually did. I wrote an article. I was like, gonna watch the game, but while you know the incident was going on, I was actually writing the article. So it was crazy for that. And uh, yeah, the effects of the transfer. But what I want them to get is a big body. I talk to Joe about this all the time on our, on our Victory Again podcast. We need the big defense tackle. That's what we need. That's what's missing. Or two. Two will be nice. And I will stress on that all throughout the rest of this recruiting process. That's the, what's going to beat Michigan. Well, and that's and that's funny that you mentioned Michigan, right? Because Penn, I think, you know, Penn State has always matched up well against Ohio State. Skill for skill. They are pretty equal as that goes. But Michigan, they they are the ones that blow Penn State out more often than not. But they're going through some stuff too right now with the Harbaugh saga. Is he going to the NFL? They've got – listen, let's be real. They're not going to get anything more than a slap in the face and maybe a couple of scholarships. But at Michigan, that's not – they'll figure out a way to do it. What does a scholarship matter anymore now? Any, anyway, with NIL. But you're right. I think up front, defensive line – um, they've got to they've got to sure up some things, uh, get some more size up there. But but again, we mentioned um, that after the Michigan game, when James Franklin called them out for th- guys thinking they're Aaron Donald, right? Aaron Donald is one of the greatest defensive tackles of all time, in my opinion, and especially in, in the modern era. But Manny Diaz comes out during Bull Week and says, "Well, it's not really about size; it was more about scheme." And they got out schemed, and now, you know. Let's see what they've got. And and Penn State has routinely done a great job in the portal, not losing a lot of guys, but the guys that they get, are, are there have been a lot of home runs, even up front uh, on the defensive line. Yeah, and like Franklin said, and they've they've used the transfer, transfer portal to their advantage. They He said this week, you know, you don't want to become reliant on that because then you're doing that every year because you're getting guys with one, maybe two years of eligibility. Rarely are you getting – a chop Robinson who comes and has three years of eligibility remaining. So they've done well in the recruiting trail and like they've just grabbed that one or two people that they need. And like, that's the final piece they need. And 
you know, D-line is that place. Uh, Kazai Izzard's coming back. He's got some eligibility left. But P.J. Mustafer is, what, 6'4", 320. Like, those guys don't grow on trees. Um, it, it'd be nice. Definitely would be nice to have, especially because they got Michigan at home. They play Michigan at home really well, and they play Michigan poorly on the road. They got him at home this year, like, kind of got them where you want them. So this is going to be the year where they need to beat Michigan. They need to at least beat one of the two coming up, and getting a D tackle in the transfer portal would definitely be beneficial. And also, you could also use another veteran. Uh, I like the uh, quarter, the wide receiver they got from uh, NC State that did, because I know he has one year left, but you need a big, bigger body at receiver as well and a veteran presence to help the young guys like like the young Carmelo Taylor, Caden Saunders, uh, guys like Trey Wallace and uh, – Liam Clifford, if he stays, and put and on top of that, uh, I we're not sure if Ke- even though Keandre Lambert Smith had a great game, what do you, I don't know if it it could could it translate to him. What do you guys think about Keandre Lambert Smith? I asked him, I asked Joe about this about it. Do you think it was like the scheme that he hasn't excelled up to this point, or is it you think it was because they had Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington? Mitchell Tinsley came in last year. I think he's he's been hidden. Um, I think he's always had the skill set. I don't think the scheme is an issue with him. I think it, there have just been guys that are better. Um, and that's nothing against him. I mean, he came on and, and he's played very, very well. But at the same time, you have guys like Mitchell Tinsley. And even Trey Wallace, I think, has done a, did a great job this year, you know, emerging. And Parker Washington, obviously, was the real deal as well. Um, and then, obviously, you had Jahan Dotson, right? So, like... And and clearly, as Kevin brought up pre pre show, um, he looked really good against the Dallas Cowboys over the weekend and their romp uh, over the the playoff bound Dallas Cowboys. But you know that's the thing you have to you kind of he's just kind of been trapped in my opinion. I think he's got the talent. I mean, you saw it against in the Rose Bowl. Now, it is that the same type of defense that you're going to see in the Big Ten? Absolutely not. Let's be real. The Pac-12. Um, is not very good as far as defense goes, but you know, that's, it's a, that's the confidence builder that you need. That's the slump buster that you need and get guys like Trey Wallace going and Malik mega and get, and get guys like that. And when you start to build that momentum and Liam Clifford started playing a lot more down the, down the stretch too. So that's a kid that, you know, we get another maybe seven or eight years at Clifford's um, who knows what could happen. Yeah, and he's only a sophomore. He kind of had a drop-off this year, but he wasn't going to usurp Parker Washington as wide receiver one. You bring in Mitchell Tensley to be wide receiver two, so you're going to expect Keandre Lambert-Smith to be down into the three and four range. And he got his opportunity. He, you know, He got the wide receiver two or the wide receiver of the future role in the Rose Bowl, and he made, his, he made the best of his opportunities, I think, the more playing time he gets, if you bring a guy like DC in, he's 6'3", 215, like he's going to learn for that because he's, he's 6'1", 175. So that two inches is big, but he can start learning, like, you know, building his frame out, getting stronger because Penn State really hasn't had that 6'3", 220 guy. Like Jahan Dotson's, what, 5'10", 180. Parker Washington's 5'11", 6 foot. Like they haven't had that taller guy that, the big body guy that, you know, some of the other colleges have programs have had. So I'm excited for Keandre Lambert Smith. I think he's going to, I think he is going to be the, the next 
the next Penn State receiver that goes to the NFL. That's the Jahan Dotson, the Allen Robinson. Like Penn State's gonna be known for they're known for putting that one in every year. And I think he's the next one. Oh, that's the other good thing where Penn State is right now. Like if they go out and get a veteran guy in the portal, great. They could use it. But if they don't, it's it's not going to make that big of a difference, in my opinion. I, it, it, I think it will help with that experience. But at the same time, you see youth every in every position right now. I mean, you, you got some experience um, at tight end uh, and up front especially, but, you know, running backs, you got sophomores in the Kevon League. Um, and then you've got, you know, receivers, you got those guys. So it's not as if there's a lot of experience to go around. So obviously finding a veteran guy would help. But at the same time, Youth will be served, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what their strategy is at the receiver position in the portal. Yeah, because I know they had a couple guys that already committed elsewhere in the portal. So, but I also want to get to this because I always wanted to ask you guys this. I know you talked about, we all talked about the Sean Clifford experience. Yeah, let's oh, that's my favorite, think, yes. Like, hold on, hold on. Is, do you oh, think, let me buckle up for this one. Back, do you think the receipt like Keandre Smith specifically may have gotten held back by Sean Clifford and the way he his like somewhat reckless, reckless but conservative at the same time play so, style? So, um, we that's a good question, actually. We talked, we talked pre show about this. You know, I was, I was at Clemson, it was the freshman year of Trevor Lawrence. And uh, Kelly Bryant was there. wasn't the most prolific thrower. You had T Higgins on the roster and, you know, Drew Aller's arm talent's got to be, I'm not going to say his arm is Trevor Lawrence. He's probably not the next Trevor Lawrence. Cause there's not many of those in the NFL either. Um, like Trevor Lawrence just update upgraded that offense. Like the offense was sufficient with Kelly Bryant. Like they're in the, they're in the playoff hunt. They're that they're this, they're that. But like Trevor Lawrence got in, and as soon as he like his first game, I went to his first game. It was the only ticket game I, I went to two games that year, but that was the only ticket I had in the student section. So we're right in the end zone, and every ball Trevor Lawrence threw was a fastball, and all the receivers were struggling. So like I don't expect Drew Aller to come out and have every throw to start the game, start the year next year. But like by game two, game three, he realized that he didn't know need to throw the 70, 75 mile an hour fastball every time on the field. He started learning touch and the receivers absolutely took off. Like T Higgins had a monster year that year. And then Travis, they had Travis Etienne in the backfield and they did whatever the heck they wanted with him. And like that offense just soared to new heights. It's not that Kelly Bryant was an inadequate college quarterback. It's that they got that guy with that, just that next step up. And like, I feel like that's where Penn state's heading with it. Cause yeah, Sean Clifford can make all the throws, but he's more of a gamer. He's that adequate college quarterback. Who's probably not going to be a stud in the NFL. Drew Aller's that guy has got all the arm talent and can be potentially the guy who's the star in the NFL. And I think that's where they're going to be with Keandre Lambert Smith and Harrison Wallace. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, right? Like, Clifford is known for a lot of dumb mistakes, right? And and the, and the Clifford that we saw in the Rose Bowl, and I think that was kind of a microcosm of, of the frustrations with the Sean Clifford experience. Because the Clifford we saw in the Rose Bowl is what everybody expected Sean Clifford to be every every game. And it just wasn't the case. You know, you get duds like Northwestern. You get duds like the last few minutes against Ohio State this year. But 
I mean, yeah, did he hold some of them back? I think so, too. But I think he held himself back with trying to do too much, you know, especially in 2020 and 2021. I think he put too much of the offense uh, on his shoulders, especially 2020, man. You go into Indiana and you lose the way that you lose. You lose your top two running backs and boom, you you kind of just have to you go into fight or flight mode. Right. You're off of a of a big time bull win. And then you're you're hit with. COVID, you're hit with all of this, and then you know, I think he hurt everybody, and that's not a knock against him, it's just kind of the way that it was in, in those years, and this year I thought he did alright, I mean everybody was hard on him, and I think deservedly so, when you're a 16th year starter in the col- in college football, you know you ha- you deserve that but, but yeah, I think it, when you look at the grand scheme of things he could have put his receivers in better positions to catch the football, um and and there are some god awful passes too, uh, and that and that wasn't limited to just Parker Washington or Mitchell Tinsley or Brenton Strange or Theo Johnson. That was to to pretty much everybody. So uh, I do think that they were held back to an extent, but but every quarterback I think holds back receivers to an extent because you kind of have to if you're not throwing to them. Well, I want to ask you guys a question: What do you guys think about Sean Clifford's NFL future? I believe that he could be a long-time backup quarterback, which isn't bad. Long-time quarterbacks make a lot of money. Yeah, how many millions of dollars has Chase Daniel made? Oh, dude, I would love that job. It's like four or five million dollars a start in the NFL. Yeah, and I think actually let's talk about that here in the second segment. Let's talk about some NFL stuff because it's the playoffs are roaring here. Penn State or college football is over uh, now and we're gearing up for spring ball, but let's talk a little bit of NFL prowess for some of our Penn State, uh, for some of our Penn State players here. When we come back on the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast, Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Town Network. Brandon posed this question. Sean Clifford's NFL prowess, potential. Could he be a long-term backup? Could he be a starter? Who knows? I think he'll be a, I think he'd be a very late-round pick. Um, and, and the comparisons are always going to be between Trace and Sean Clifford. At, 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 that's all. That's what we're going to see, right? And, and Trace did his work in three years under Joe Moe's offense. And, but he also had guys that are playing in the playoffs in the NFL, like Chris Godwin, like Saquon Barkley, like Mike Gesicki, uh, Pat Fryermuth even. Um, so he had a lot of weapons. Uh, and not to say that Sean Clifford didn't. He had Deshaun Hamilton, uh, KJ Hamler. He had a lot of guys that are studs. Um, uh, and and Fryermuth as well. So, you know, you look at the kind of things, but he also had four years. And and I think he could be a backup quarterback. I think he'll be serviceable. I think he's very comparable, you know, to, I think, Stetson Bennett as far as can they play in the league? Yes. Um, I mean, Trace was prolific at Penn State, and and he's gotten, what, one start in his career? And that's, that's not easy. But, you know, there are 32 positions for quarterbacks, and – you got Tom Brady holding it down in Tampa Bay for the for the next fifty years, and you've got a bunch of guys everywhere that are that are locked in. So it, it's tough to to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. 
but as far as that question goes, I think I think he can do it. I think a long term quarterback, uh, long term backup actually wouldn't be too bad. No, and even if he doesn't make it as a player, I feel like he is destined to be like a guy who's going to be coaching quarterback at camps over the summer and then running like an agency repping players, especially with the, the with the NIL collective that he started as a in college. He's already running that. So like I feel like even if he doesn't make it in the NFL, like he is set up, like he has got a great head on his shoulders. He understands what it is, but like he also is not afraid to grind it out. Like even if he goes undrafted, you know, if he gets a camp invite, like he is gonna probably be the hardest working dude on that field. Yes, he is. And plus like like you said, uh Kevin, I think his he will be go beyond football at Penn State. He will be, I think, in the next 20 years, when we talk about, we'll talk about Deshaun, whatever we talk about, but he's going to be no more for the impact that he made off the field than he had made whenever he was playing at Penn State. Because I think he could. he's going to make have some businesses with the NILs. He could coach if he wants to. He can do anything he wants. History will be kind right, to for him. Right, that's the cool thing for Sean Clifford, though. The NFL is essentially a backup plan for him. Yeah, and and that's a really cool spot to be in, um, in the collegiate landscape. And granted, you know there are a lot of people that I think are going to be like that now. But at the same time, you know NIL money isn't forever. But he's it's not just NIL money. It's he is a he is an entrepreneur. He is a businessman first, and I think that's going to be the interesting thing to see you know, how that transpires and how that develops because he's only just begun to scratch the surface of, I think, his potential in that realm of everything because as there's no legislation, NIL is only going to get crazier and crazier. I mean, you look at Texas A&M. They put together the highest paid recruiting class of all time. and USC 2005 might have a word. Yeah, but right now, I give Reggie Bush back his Heisman at this point. Um He's a high, he's actually going in the College Football Hall of Fame with Tim Tebow, but you know that's the thing. Now you're buying recruiting classes, and it sure as hell isn't helping Texas A and M. No, and if you have a brand like James Franklin does, and a brand like Penn State is, you don't need to. Like guys are going to want to come to school for the school, so like the NIL money kind of it. You don't you don't have to pay people to go to Penn State. Like Penn State is what it is. Like you, you have to pay people to go to Texas A&M because you got a budding program that's third or fourth best in the state, third or fourth best, or third or fourth best in their conference division. So, like te- Texas A&M is trying to make a splash. Penn State is making that splash without the big money investment in the NIL of, like they're they're not on Texas A&M's level. What did they have sixty million in NIL down there? Like Penn State wasn't anywhere near that. No, but it is getting better, and you can see that too. I mean, that's and and you know, I, I'm not sure if anybody looked at the bowl schedule or the, the or the schedule of events, but there's there are autograph signings out there in LA that, for NIL purposes, you know, as part of Rose Bowl festivities. So I mean, you're going to see a lot more of that where guys are going to go to autograph signings and and make names off of their, and make money off of their name, and I think that's deserved, uh, for sure. But it's going to be interesting to see how this grows. And I think Sean, Sean Clifford, as far as, you know, I think he graduated with at least six or seven degrees uh, at Penn State. I mean, his last major was communications or journalism. So, I mean, there's the the options for him are, are limitless um, after 
you know, upon grad upon his graduation, right? So, yeah, going to the NFL, I think is a, is next for him. But again, he has a great fallback option. But he's not the only one that's going to the NFL, um, either. Even though Penn State really isn't isn't being hurt by that as much as you might right. think. Yeah, because you got how many? Like, you got Brenton Strange is going to probably get drafted. PJ Musselver. I don't know what his draft stop, but you're 6'5", 320, somebody's going to draft you. Uh, they have a couple of other people, like Nick Tarbarton. Joey Porter Jr. is the big name of the group, and you got Parker Washington. But what about the guys coming back? Joe, uh, Curtis Jacobs stopped, came back and uh, said he's coming back. Devon Elise, I don't want to get his name, is coming back. Deza Isaac's coming back. What do you think that means for Penn State this season? Kate Wallace Wallace is coming back on the offensive line. Like, they are bringing back pivotal pieces. Like, if they lost Curtis Jacobs to the NFL draft, what is that linebacking core next year? It's just Abdul Carter and Dom DeLuca, newly uh, scholarshiped Dom DeLuca. And I mean, you're losing Jonathan Jonathan Sutherland. He's probably not. He might be an undrafted free agent. He might be a camp invite. I I don't see him going anywhere in the top seven rounds. Uh, but I just Jared and I have talked about it times and again. It's it's the buy into the James Franklin, and then Olu's coming back, and he said like, yeah, I came back because of what what we're what our expectations are for ourselves next year. And I think you're seeing that like a lot of these big name guys who. You know, like a Brandon Smith leaving a year early. If he stayed another year, what does that Penn State defense look like with him? Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, right. And people so don't like, think about that, right? Because next Brandon year. Smith could be there. And that's like 2020 when Micah Parsons could have been there, right? People don't remember. People tend to forget that Micah Parsons opted out because um, he had no idea, right? By the time he had made his decision, the Big Ten was like, ah, oh, we're going to play. But, but yeah, so, I mean, when you, especially up front, I mean, I think that solidifies things for John Scott Jr., um, who, let's be real, everybody, you know, when Sean Spence went to the NFL, people were kind of worried about how the D-line would go. Like, you know, Spence was was a stud and, ha- and on the recruiting front and, and every front, really. Uh, and he, they were churning – Penn State's churned out some big-time dudes up front. Um, but – they haven't missed a beat. In fact, I think they've honestly, they're starting to get better. Uh, and that's, and that's the cool thing about, you know, where Penn state is depth wise, you know, they're not missing a beat. And when you return guys, like they're returning, that's a great position to be in, you know, couple that with Abdul Carter, you know, then you've got the, the, the King twins who are, I think are going to be stalwarts on the defensive side of the football too. You know, they're, they, they are deep. Defensively, I think the secondary is going to be a question mark to an extent, but really only because they're just they're not as experienced. I mean, you miss Jair Brown and Joey Porter Jr. Well, guess what? Joey Porter Jr., they, you know, Kalen King came in and, and filled in admirably. Uh, Johnny Dixon played well in his absence. So, you know, they're not going to miss a beat. But when you have that type of depth, we talked about it in the 2021 season. Now it's not just depth, but it's quality depth too. And that's where Penn state had been lacking the last few years. Yeah. And, you know, you ask like, who's, who's going to replace a guy like Jair Brown? 
Well, they replaced Marcus Allen with Nick Scott, and then Nick Scott with with Jaquan Brisker, and then Jaquan Brisker with Jair Brown. Like we we just talk like they just keep reloading back there. The cornerbacks are all experienced, right? You get Storm Duck as a fourth year transfer. Uh, Kalen King's back there. He played well this year. Um, Marquise Wilson got valuable experience. You know, he's known for that bad play in the Rose Bowl. It's one one little slip up. And then, you know, you got Daquan Hardy. Johnny Dixon really started coming to his own at the end of the year. So, I mean, you might say that's the question mark because it's slightly inexperienced. But, I mean, they were rolling five, six cornerbacks all year long. Like, they had the luxury of depth. And depth means you get to rotate. And you get all those guys' experience, and you you know you no longer have rebuilding years. You have reloading years, and next year is this year is supposed to be the rebuild. Next year is just a reload, and it's just yeah, it's like hit the ground running. The star player, I'm gonna tell you this first: Zaki Wheatley will make an All Big Ten team next year. I mean, he's he's next in line to be Jair Brown. Because and and plus, you got all these. we'll, We'll talk about the freshmen and all that recruiting stuff. Coming in with Washington and uh, King Matt, who that's my favorite person in the rep. I, I like the name too, Storm Duck name. King Matt. Awesome names, but he's my favorite player that I saw in the recruiting class. You have names escape me. You still got Tamir Robinson and Tony Rojas. They'll be fine on defense. I think the first step is like you probably said that, and I mentioned you guys in in one of my articles saying that. You got to try to keep Manny Diaz for at least a couple of three years. Pay him whatever you need to pay. And get, and then because uh, the first step of them, I think Penn State's getting to that late elite level to be in that dominant program is your defense. That's how Alabama's done it, did it. That's how Georgia's doing it. And that's how Penn State should do it. Man, let's talk, I want to talk a little bit more about Georgia. I know this is a Penn State podcast, but I, it would be a disservice to college football if we didn't talk about that here on the third and final segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Sports Now Network. I'm here with Kevin Quigley, my co-host as always, and our special guest, Brandon Walker. Guys, let's be real. The college football season comes to an end, and that is not the way that I expected it to end. Number one, Penn State is bouncing anywhere between five and seven in a lot of the way-too-early rankings. Um, I'm not shocked by that. What I'm shocked about is what happened to TCU Monday night in L.A. That, my friends, was a disaster. It was, and leading up to the game, you're looking like what LSU did to Georgia. You know, they were able to pass. I mean, George LSU was down big, and they were trying to come back. So it's like, okay, Georgia's pass defense. It's just kind of like, you know, keep them in front of you, let the yards happen. We're, we got a big lead. Ohio State able to throw it all over the freaking world against Georgia a week ago. And then we get to the TCU-Georgia game. And Georgia's defense was turned up to 12, not even 11. It was turned up to 12. And TCU, you know, they had that really emotional victory against Michigan. They weren't supposed to win. I even said they were going to get boat raced on this podcast. I was dead wrong. Not afraid to admit it. I'm not perfect. And TCU just, you know, 
Georgia kind of stumbled out of the blocks against Ohio State, struggled all night. You know, maybe it's the month layoff. Kirby Smart maybe just didn't have him in tip-top shape, but they were in tip-top shape on Monday, and they showed why they were the number one team in the country all year long. Well, this is what I call a good old-fashioned dog walking. That is, that was dominant. I didn't think, I knew Georgia was going to win. I don't know. I, I forgot what the spur. I knew they was going to cover by they they was going to cover cover it by uh fit was it fifty eight? So they hit the over under by themselves. Yeah, it was thirteen and a half points, and I actually just put on my personal Twitter account that TCU is going to cover, and I quickly was like, "Yep, wrong again." Which this is, why, a, this is why you don't take gambling for Kevin. Yeah, right. Um, but that's <laughs> the thing. Like you knew as soon as they asked Kirby Smart. Like, Right before the game, you know what? What's your goal tonight? Aggression. You knew it was game over, and it was. They they exploded out of the gate, and TCU never had a chance. I mean, they could have opted out of the second half if they wanted to. We should but, have had. Should have. You know, looking just looking at the box score is a thing of beauty, right? Just just Georgia's side because it's not worth it to look at TCU's. Right, Stetson Bennett, who like Sean Clifford has been at Georgia and back again, um, eighteen to twenty-five, three three hundred four for four touch, touchdowns. But then you look at the you look at the rushing, right? And they had one, two, three, six, eight different players run the football. Um, seven of those eight had multiple carries. Um, no, no one went over fifty, but they still rushed for two hundred and fifty-four yards. And then you look at Brock Bowers. He had a, seven receptions, 152 yards, um, and a touchdown. And then my favorite – I think this might be my favorite name in, in sports right now, Lad McConkie, um, five receptions, 88 yards, two touchdowns. Um, and, and he just dominated. And it was just – I mean, you, I expected Georgia to win. Don't get me wrong. But I didn't expect them to embarrass the hell out of TCU. It was almost as embarrassing as there being a dome stadium in LA and rain still coming through the sides of the stadium. That that stadium's a pavilion. Don't get me started on that one. I I, yeah. I have a lot of gripes at that stadium. It's an electrical engineer. There's a Faraday cage around the building, and when they canceled the game for a thunderstorm, well, well, I'm not going to get into it. It's it's mm. just yeah. Poor TCU fans couldn't even tailgate. They couldn't even. They had to watch all that sober. Could you imagine? You know, and, get, Penn, and they were the ones getting rained on at the top. Yeah, right. Could you imagine being in a Penn State game? They're getting boat raced by Michigan. You're sober as hell, and it's just like a miserable time. Yeah, apparently that is the third straight national championship game they weren't allowed to tailgate for. But anytime I can poop on LA for being fun suckers and not a college football town, I'm going to take the opportunity. To, well, it's so. about the you know, it's about shame as, on shame on SoFi. Yeah, tailgating is about as traditional – not tailgating is about as traditional as, you know, playing a game on a Monday night. Yeah. I, you want to talk about bad scheduling. The FCS championship game being on Sunday at 2 o'clock during week 18 of the NFL season. Yeah, right. Right. Like, help yourself grow the game. Play it on Sunday. Play it on Saturday. College football is meant to be on Saturday. You want to have all the pomp and circumstance? Have seven hours of game day. Like, I'll I will listen to Lee Corso for eight hours. I'll listen to Pat McAfee for ten hours, right? Like, do yourself like I understand wanting your own day, but like, and I understand antitrust and this that and the other shit. But like, that's the stuff that's infuriating. 
Like, at least they started the game at, well, it's supposed to kick off at 7.30. It didn't get kicked off until 7.55, but, like, at least that was beneficial. Like, at least we weren't up until 1 o'clock watching Georgia score again. Yeah. yeah uh, was- if if we're, we're late in this podcast, if you missed it, we did say get off our lawn, you know, 20 minutes ago. So, continue. All right. Uh, what do you, uh, before we go wrap it up, about now since this next year is going to be the last year of this four-team, because we are we on Monday they proved that TCU didn't belong, and they just wanted to shield out. I guess they wanted to give out. I just I'm thinking they just wanted to shield Alabama out of the college football playoff, in my opinion, because Alabama it should have been Alabama and Georgia in the fi- in the finals, in my opinion. So how do you feel about now the 12 team playoffs? Starting in two thousand, starting in two years from now, who do you think our Penn State Nittany Lions are going to fare? Because I think they should be there every year now. At this point, when they do start it, they're at that at that place at the progress. What do you guys think? On paper, I think they should be. Um, clearly, twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one prove otherwise. Uh, that sometimes it doesn't always look great on paper, or what looks great on paper doesn't always come to fruition. Um, but I want to get back to you said you think Alabama will get to Penn State here in a couple of minutes. We've already, you know, we're this is an extended length podcast, right? You say you think Alabama should have played in that national championship game? They should have been in the playoffs over TCU. No, uh, no way. No way. What? That was the most competitive semifinal rounds we've seen in the nine years. Like it, it was. you're forgetting Ohio State got shut out 31 to nothing against against Clemson. And Imagine a- if the clock didn't strike midnight and Ohio State went wide left. Yeah, I mean. Like, like that could have not been Georgia, right? They were a, an awful kick away. Um, now, as far as Alabama goes, um, I I liked that it was somebody new, right? I think that was, that was really, really cool. Um, you know, Georgia, I think, is the real deal. But the issue with Alabama is – they lost to Tennessee. Tennessee wasn't even a playoff team. They lost to LSU. That wasn't a playoff team. Those are two losses to playoff teams. If, if by that case, you know, if we're going by that, then Penn State should have made it over TCU. Um, they, their two losses were to Michigan and Ohio State. Um, oh. But, you know, it, it's tough because you look at the ske- the strength of schedule. The SEC and the Big Ten strength of schedules – well, Big Ten East, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's be clear because the Big Ten West strength of schedule Pretty. is um, is like watching peewee football – um, or even Pac-12 or Big 12 football. So, I mean, yeah, to an extent, the Big 12 strength of schedule, not ideal, right? Um, SEC and Big 10, I think there, there are some there are some gripes. That, that's a tough schedule. I mean, you look at any team from the Big East or Big 10 East, I should say, and they have one of the strongest schedules just in their co- their division alone. They not, and that's not even talking about out-of-conference and, and inter, inter, um, inter-conference wins. Um, but – you know, I can see why Alabama, you know, gets thrown in there, but you could have made that case for for a lot of teams. I think you have a point there, but it just it just seems like they were got they they got Alabama fatigue because I don't. But if you put those two teams on the field, who wins? I mean, I mean, was Alabama, was Alabama beating Michigan? They don't have the offense TCU has. Like Bryce Young and did not look stellar this year, and. I mean, TCU didn't have 
uh, Kendra Miller, and they lost their two starting offensive tackles against the national champion in the national championship game. Like they didn't have time to, they didn't even have time to recover from that. You're right. But that's why they play the games. And that's why we're going to have these playoffs. So how, so how are you, Jared? Would you go to a game? Cause I asked Joe this by and I, and I, the answer for me is yes. Would you go, how would you feel? How do you think Penn state would do in a home game in the playoffs? I know they do well. How, uh, how they would go to a home game? Like say, are we, are say we talking about play, performance on the field? Say if they play Georgia at, at Beaver Stadium. This is a silly question, but how do you think that matchup is going to go for Penn State? Because Georgia is not used to playing in the cold and all that uh, and all this stuff. I would Penn love State to see any team field. in the SEC play north of the Mason-Dixon line. In November 100%. or December. Oh, yeah. oh my I mean, God. A, I would love it. A, I, think uh, I think it's a game changer. Yeah. I think I think it would absolutely be a game changer. You know, and, and what if Minnesota, you know, gets gets really good, right? And they have to go to Minnesota. Although I think they play in a dome now, which isn't very fun. Um, no, they got the no, outdoor. No, no, they don't. That's they got all, the outdoor. That's right. I keep getting confused with, with those guys. But, I mean, you look play a game in the big house or Columbus or, you know, Wisconsin if – um. If Matt Rule gets sent back to to where they need to be, or I'm sorry, no, he's at Luke Fickle. He's in Nebraska. There are too many red teams. Luke Fickle, though, either one, right? I wouldn't so want I, to go to Nebraska in December. Hell no. Yeah, he wants to go to Nebraska in January through December. But but no, I, I and that's a great point, Brandon. Like that's that's what I love about the college football playoff now. When it expands to 12 teams, those home games. Now, I I will I will be here for watching them. Try to take care of Beaver Stadium uh, over that break, depending on how long that takes. Because I remember a couple, just a couple of years ago against Michigan State, where the pipes froze, and we had to walk our, walk down the concourse just to use the bathroom in the press box. Um, so, you know, Happy Valley winters aren't always pleasant, which again adds to an, another element of you know shock and awe to a team from the South that they get to host a game. And I and I'm here for that. I I I want that parity. Because it's the same thing as Penn State going to say Auburn, and then having to deal with the heat and humidity. You know, bring them up here. Bring them up here. Let's get cold. Let's get. Let Let's see the the broth on the sidelines. Yeah, Penn State dealt with that uh, that South heat last year pretty well, though. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah it's not absolutely. like Pennsylvania is cold. They they get the advantage of going down in mid to late September. If Penn State had to travel to Auburn in July or August. <laughs> Well, that's probably yeah. that's no competition, but uh, I, I, growing up in Virginia, going to Penn State, like going to Clemson, like those heats aren't the between those three states, the heats aren't the heats aren't that much different. Living in Florida for a year, like that heat's different in July, like it sucks, but they do get the advantage. Like Big Ten definitely has a weather advantage versus teams in the South as you get into November. Like that would be where the weather advantage would come is SEC teams lower ACC teams like Clemson having to come up to a Big Ten stadium to play on the road at end of December. I mean, you're bringing snow, frozen tundras in there. Like the Jared Goff narrative of, oh, he, he plays in L.A. He can't play in the cold weather. And then he goes to Detroit and he's in the cold weather all the time and he plays a lot better this year in the cold. You, you do realize he he's playing a dome in Detroit, right? Yeah, but he's, he's still in the cold climate, so he goes right. to Lambo. It's not Listen, I would have loved to see Detroit make the playoffs, but I'd love that they went and took it to the Packers. 
speaking of playoffs, before we go, I want to get everybody's opinion on the top 10, on what their top 10 would be and where would you put people. You know, looking at the AP top 25, right now it's Georgia, TCU, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Tennessee, Penn State, Washington, Tulane, and Utah. Brandon, I'm going to start with you. Name your top five. Obviously, number one would be Georgia. Two would still, I, I know, it's tough for me to have this a bad matchup. I would still, Michigan, because I think they would beat seven out of ten times, I think Michigan wins that game. Three would be, sorry, three, I guess. Three will be Alabama. Four would be Ohio State. And I put Penn State at five because I, from that Ohio State game on until now, who's who? Who besides Georgia could say Penn State is is who is better than Penn State throughout that time, throughout the year. I mean, from the Ohio November on. So no, I, I think that's a good point. Top five. Kevin, what say you? I like the top five as it is. Uh, the only Aww. thing you could convince – I mean, the only thing you convinced me on is that Tennessee is better than Alabama. Joe Milton absolutely showed us something in the uh, Orange Team Bowl, uh, played at the Orange South Bowl. South Carolina Bowl. Yeah, this, the the, the – I said it to you, the good luck in your bowl game from the Gamecocks <laughs> banner behind was... the biplane. That was hilarious hovering over the stadium. Speaking of South Carolina, Spencer Rattler is coming back. Hey. Um, but I actually, I like that. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I do like that. Um, because, again, I, I hate to say this because TCU got boat raced. But, again, they made it to the national championship game. And they deserve to be number two. It's like, like when the college football playoff comes out, it's like, well, they didn't play anybody. Well, they just – you know, they didn't lose, um, but they got there. But yeah, consolation points. I guess I mean, my only thing is, is, is Washington, the number eight team. I think Tulane beating USC coming back the way they did with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, conveniently, I was drive my, I would commute eight minutes to work and conveniently I missed the entire comeback from that one. And then well, and I, I was think, texting. And it's funny because we were texting the entire time. He's like, "Yeah, I, I don't know what you're talking about." Yeah, and I, was <laughs> I like, had no idea. And then I got home, and it's like, "Tulane wins," and it's like, "I was oh. like, dude." <laughs> um, uh, the only I thing like, I think I, you look at is getting Tulane in there because that whenever USC is impressive, at Florida State at the end of the year. You want to talk about a team that went under the radar this year? I've slept on them too. That team is going to be good next year. Well, and they're and they're at the top of a lot of of preseason rankings which just like postseason rankings are pretty pointless but because everybody else is gone and i'm feeling left out i got georgia tcu uh blow up three and four uh and then i got tennessee over alabama just because they beat them (laughs) um and then penn state shortly thereafter and yeah i like i like tulane at eight and i mean good for utah but the Pac-12, I think, is going to be is not going to be very good in the next few years. Um, but again, yeah, I 
pre, here we go with the preseason rankings that are pointless because they don't matter. It's like whose line is it anyway? Um, we're just going to play the games, but they don't. But they're they're putting unnecessary hype on on things where players these teams don't even have their rosters finalized yet. How the, how the hell does Texas sneak in at the twenty fifth ranked? These are Texas man. It's I mean we talk about the Alabama bias. The fact that Texas remained ranked the entire year besides a week or two. It's it, like no, they, the they, they are not ranked. They should not be ranked. I mean, oh. it's no. Listen, and and I as a as a writer, right? If you call it, if you cover college football and you're in person, and you're in stadiums, or just in general, you can't watch every team play. It is physically impossible, um, without your eyes burning and 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 by these deadlines. So like by the time AP poll votes get tallied or whatever, you don't have that type of time. So there's a lot of name recognition and brand recognition. If a team wins or does this or does that, it's not like they do this, this inordinate amount of research the way that they should. Cause I mean, you look at almost every game that we try to predict Kevin and we were both pretty spot on. Uh, I was very close um, in a lot of games and I was so pissed that that last touchdown that Utah scored, cause I would have been within three points on either side, but, but it's impossible for these AP voters without watching every game to know who the hell they're voting for. Um, it's just damn near impossible. And again, it really doesn't matter anyway because they have a college football playoff poll um, that comes out halfway through the year that drives up all the ratings. So um, I am the old man on my lawn. I'll get off my lawn with the rankings. Um, <laughs> the only one that, that really matters at the end of the year is if you're number one. Georgia is number one. The Bulldogs, um, they took <laughs> they took the frogs out back. And now it's all about Penn State and gearing up for spring ball. They got the kickoff time for the blue-white game. I believe the kickoff is April 15th, if I'm not mistaken. April 15th. 2 p.m. Kevin, are you coming up for that? I I don't work. For Finally, there's something on a weekend that, that I'm not scheduled to work. Well, then this is what I'm proposing to each and every one of you. We have a live on the spot, on location podcast for Lashing Out Podcast. Brandon's invited. Everybody's invited. We're going to podcast live outside the, of Beaver Stadium during the spring game. Let's get after it. Let's do it. I'm down. Right. You, you ain't say nothing but the word, man. It's like this is a hot. Just all I want to say before you guys go is, is just follow me. At, listen, lashing out podcast at B Walker the Dawn. I will have content all the time up there. Both of you guys can attest to it. So that's all for me. Excellent. We appreciate Brandon joining us today for Kevin Quigley. This has been Jared Pruger on the Lashing Out Podcast. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.